Hello and welcome to the Zero to ASIC course YouTube channel. Uh, today I'm doing another interview and today it's with Thomas Parry. So hello Thomas Parry, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. So you're from um, Scotland? Yeah, originally from Scotland, um, now living in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Yeah, and um, I got in touch because I saw, um, well to be honest it was um, the layout files for your for the GDS, for the, the shuttle that you did. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us um, the name of the project that you submitted? Yeah, so it's the AMSAT, I think, TXRX um, IC, possibly. I don't know, I don't know exactly off memory. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a amateur satellite transceiver. Yep, exactly. That's a plan. So the okay. plan is to, to build up an amateur radio transceiver over the coming shuttles. It's, it seems to me like quite a... Um, an advanced topic or a, at least quite a difficult one. Yeah, I wanted something that would be challenging. So um, yeah. definitely something to get my teeth into over a number of shuttles. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, give us a little bit of info about your background because we've only just met. I checked out your um, LinkedIn profile. It seems like you do this kind of stuff. Um, so maybe you can uh, just tell us how you got into the idea of um, uh, the satellite transceiver and also a bit of your background on previous ASIC experience or previous analog design experience. Yeah, so I started my career in the, the space industry in Scotland, um, designing basically power and RF uh, systems for satellites. So that was that was really fun. But after a few years, I wanted to, to learn more about the IC level stuff. So when I moved country, it was a good time to also make that jump. So for the past maybe two and a half, three years, I've been working for small design house um, called Systematic Design in Delft. Um, and they're basically, I think about 15 people, which are specialists in IC design, um, mostly analog design for sensors and power. Um, so yeah, I've, I'm not a complete noob to, to ICs, but neither am I a complete uh, industry veteran. So about a few, few tape outs over the past couple of years, um, at my experience level. Okay. Um... And uh, how did you do the design? Well, I looked through the repo and I'll link that in the YouTube. So you've got kind of two repos, the one that you submit, the Caravel one, but then there's like, there's quite an interesting one that seems like it contains all the design files. Yeah, so that's really where I started. That's the kind of the main um, repository where I work in. And then obviously for, for Caravel, there's a different arrangement of files because it's the Caravel um, harness itself. So basically spun that off and, and put the different design files that taped out on the, the first submission into that. But mostly day-to-day -day I work in the, the other um, repository. That's where I kind of build up the designs. And that was, um, it looked like mostly stuff for X-Scheme or X-Scheme. How do you pronounce that? I say X-Scheme, but there's no, X -scheme. Um, there's no promise that's the truth. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And Python and Matplotlib and stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. So I use Xscheme for schematics, um, and then ngSpice for simulation, and then KLayout for the layout. Um, but so yeah, that mostly works. But there's a lot of um, kind of processing stuff that's missing. You might get from a more commercial tool. So I tend to use Python to plug that gap for plotting and analyzing data. Yeah. Okay. So for your day job, are you using different tools then? Yeah, so my day job main tool we use is the Cadence Virtuoso tool. Um, also sometimes Mentographics TANA tools. Um, so that's the kind of the industry standard tools. Um, so it's good to have an idea of where they are, um, have an idea of what to expect. And then they're not that far, the functionality, you just have to plug some, some bits in yourself. Hmm. It's really interesting to talk to somebody 
who's actually got some ASIC experience. <laughs> because a lot of, um, like myself and a lot of people that I've been talking to, it's, it's our first time. So um, we don't really know. And we and like someone like me, I've never had access to the kind of the industry standard tools. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't kind of know what the differences are. So it's interesting to talk to somebody who's actually using both. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to risk at the end of the day. A lot of the, the expensive tools, especially the, the physical tools, people pay a lot of money to know that it's going to work and it's going to create um, reliable designs. Whereas with open source tools, there's not that that promise. There's no one to shout at. So that's kind of one of the big differences. And what happens if you if something goes wrong and you shout at uh, one of the big vendors? Well, I think how big, it depends how big your company is. So for us, um, I'm not sure. But I'm sure if you're Qualcomm, then you can get cadences here pretty quickly. Yeah. Maybe not for a 15-strong design team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Um, no, I don't think I've ever had any issues with the, the tools. Um, they're pretty mature now these days. But, um, hmm. They tend to work on more mature nodes, so 180, 130 nanometers, um, because that's, that's good for analog design. So it's not yeah, and cheaper as well, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's really easy, easier to iterate and get product out fast. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, so I've seen a little bit of the analog um, process by talking to Lakshmi. Mm -hmm. We did an interview with her about the PLL and also Diego who's doing an op amp. Yep. Um, so they kind of do some modeling with X scheme um, and then they do a layout in magic or K layout they extract and then simulate and then kind of compare how close the the extraction is to the thing that they simulated in the first place that they're trying to get to. Yeah. And then if um, if it's not quite close enough, if it doesn't fit their specification, then they start tweaking things and changing things. Is that kind of like your experience, your process as well? Yeah, yeah. Although it depends, um, depends on the circuit. So for example, the band gap circuit I did, that's a DC circuit. So parasitics really aren't that important. Um, everything's so low frequency that extra capacitances are going to really help you mostly. Whereas if you're doing something in RF, then extra capacitance and parasitics is going to really hurt your design. So it does depend on which circuit you're actually designing and laying out um, what approach you need to take. So I mean, for some of the, the millimeter wave stuff that people are doing in industry now, they'll do full um, full EM simulations on their designs. So that's a kind of a step above the, the parasitic extraction. Okay. Um, and uh, one other thing that's um, I've not heard um, that's a bit different is that you're using K, K layout for the layout. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think everyone that I've spoken to so far has used. If it's digital, then then Open Lane does everything for you. But because you're doing analog stuff, I'm assuming you're not really using Open Lane much. You're just using the like the pad ring, as it were, and putting your analog design in there. Yeah, I did use Open Lane for a very small bit of digital. Um, oh yeah, actually, I did see a little bit of small digital in there. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but I've not seen anyone do layout in K layout. So can you tell us kind of what, like, my experiences with Magic? Um, what's it like doing layout in K layout? Um, and the main reason I did it was because it feels much more like the, the industry tools. Um, so I'm sure. Magic is nice to use, but I don't want to trade myself in one way and then have to use a different tool during the day and always have the context, context switching. Whereas K layout um, feels a lot like cadence tools. So I don't have to mentally shift in my mind. That's, that's the main reason I, I chose K, K layout. 
Yeah, I've got to be honest here. Um, I was probably uh, two or three months into learning how to use other tools. And I thought K layout was just a viewer because mm. I'd never switched it into edit mode. Yeah, no, I know it's weird. <laughs> I think they should they should change that. They should make it so it starts in edit mode. Starts so. up in a, in layout mode or make it yeah more obvious. Yeah. But I suppose that yeah that's the kind of thing that you don't realize until afterwards. Um, okay. Do do do. So can you do it? Can you do circuit extraction with K layout as well then? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, there's certainly nothing. So you have to use magic to do that, do you? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so okay, use... so you're doing the layout and K layout, and you load it up in magic, do the extract. I guess you can just use tickle scripts for that. You don't even need to. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I've got a flow now where I've just a, just the bash a bash script that I just um, typed in the name of the cell that I want to extract, and it will start mm -hmm. magic, import K layout, do the extraction, and then spit out the spice file. Yeah, actually, I was quite impressed when I checked your um, repository out because you had these five kind of steps on like. Uh, generate the design here, run the DRC here, run the LVS here, and they're all done just as a, like a simple shell script. It's really nice to see that in the documentation because for someone like me that's coming to a project cold, I can just be like, all right, there's the shell script, look at that, see the commands, then see what is actually going on behind the scenes that that does the work, and that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot more um, improvements to be made in documentation, but at least for the bash script, it's, um, it's kind of self-documenting. It means you don't have to type the same thing a thousand times when you're really in the, the depth of the design work. Do you have a um, like a kind of overall schematic of the thing that you've been making? Not really. Um, so in the the Caravel, um submission, there's an overall schematic. I think of the two different sections. So there's a band gap section and a phase lock loop section. So there's an overall schematic of each of those but not um, yeah, of the overall system. That will probably start to emerge sooner, basically. Yeah, Maybe in the next the next shuttle, I'll have a, a half the system um, as a whole unit. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you could give us a, because my radio understanding is pretty limited. So maybe you could give us a, um, like an overview of what is required for um, a satellite transceiver in terms of the analog blocks and then kind of tell us where you're up to in terms of completing each of those blocks. Yep. Um, so for transmitter, which is my current phase, um, you need to, um, a digital analog converter to take some digital um, data with the analog. Um, and then you need a mixer to basically convert that baseband. So basically um, DC to whatever the, the bandwidth of the modulation is up to some higher frequencies. You use a mixer to do that. Um, which is fed by some form of a local oscillator, so an oscillator. Um, and then in the simplest form, that's kind of it. You've got your baseband up to, to RF, and then you can basically uh, get that off the chip with something kind of buffer. But what I'll be doing is uh, basically going from baseband to an IF, and then another up conversion stage to, to the final RF um, to get that off the chip. So in that, you basically need the kind of more analog components, the digital analog converter. And then the more RF components of the, the mixer, the oscillators. Um, and then you need something to bias that, which is the way the band gap comes from. So everything is derived from on-chip currents. So you need some way of generating that current reliably. And then for the receive side, everything's basically the same, but backwards um, with different considerations. 
And so you've got the, I'm just trying to, I'll put a picture of this up on the, on the video when I edit it. So I'm remembering on the, actually I might load up K layout now so that I can um, ask you about the different sections. Because um, mm -hmm. they're, yeah, very, very interesting to look at, much more interesting <laughs> than seeing the output of, I mean, when I first got started, it was, super interesting to see all the standard cells and like but then you know as soon as you've got a project big enough it's just like a big mess of cells yeah, and there's yeah. no understanding it um but then when i was kind of um going through your design in k layout it was like all these uh intricate blocks with like repeated patterns and yeah a very very uh cool look to it yeah you can start to see uh, the function just by eye rather than yeah, yeah. One thing I notice is, um, like on my on my submission, there was this grid of the power distribution network on layers four and five, and in comparison, your design looks so clean. You've got like a block on the left, a block on the right, and then some wires that connect it all together, all perfectly evenly spaced, and then nothing, nothing else. So maybe we can just um, start from the bottom. So we've got this kind of fan out of. Um, I guess what what is that? Is that logic using the logic analyzer to control it or wishbone or? Yeah, so basically there's um, a number of, of control signals that I'm using the logic analyzer to to control. So these are kind of static signals to, to change configurations. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically coming from the the onboard RISC uh, processor. Okay, and then we follow that up onto the left hand side. We get to like a block of the of something from Open Lane, some digital logic. Mm -hmm. So that's um, basically what I've made is on that side, left-hand side is a phase lock loop. Um, and then I've made the digital portion of a fractional N divider, um, basically described it in, in Verilog and then synthesized and placed and routed it. So it's basically a, a noise shaping type function that allows you to use to make a non-integer uh, multiples of your reference frequency. It's like a sigma okay. delta um, converter where you can basically make fine steps over an averaged uh, period of time with only having a small amount of um, quantized steps. You keep a track of how long it's been on and off for and make sure you're switching states fast enough. Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, and then below that, we've got a block of, a very regular block of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <gasps> what number is this? <laughs> Nine by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine as well. Nine by nine of something. Um, so I think that's probably the charge pump output. Okay. So basically in the phase lock loop, you uh, to close the loop, you put out a current into, into a capacitor and there's just a, um, so it's basically just a, a current sinking source. Because I'm doing that off chip, I need to be able to put a bit more current than you normally see on chip. So that's why there's, a, there's an array basically of the output. And quite chunky traces as well. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then above that, um, we've got another kind of two. Oh, then we've got the VCO. So this is actually so on my Discord channel. We were talk. We were talking about this, and one of the questions was, "Do VCOs normally look like decorative bathroom tiles?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this, they they always have a, a quite a cool look to them because you basically want to be careful about parasitics. Um, that's kind of why there's a lot of- Keep everything even. Everything even, yeah, and also- So um, that's why you see symmetry. Yeah, exactly. So it's basically four elements. So it's a ring oscillator. Um, 
So there's four basically inverted amplifiers that feed around each other like a snake mm -hmm. eating its own tail. Um, and then that's basically how the, the oscillation works. And then you, how do you tune the frequency of that? So in the amplifiers, there's basically a, a PMOS load um, that you can change the gate voltage. And from that, you change um, the amount of current that's inserted into the into the amplifier, which basically makes it faster or slower. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, it looks really cool. So you drew this all um, by hand in K-Layer, or did you script it? Um, so basically, for the, the individual components, like the MOSFETs, I used the generator in Magic and then exported okay. out of Magic into K-Layout. Um, okay. And then, yeah, from then on, basically arranged by hand. Yeah, it's really nice. It looks like um, looks like a bathroom tile. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we've got like um, a, a couple of kind of big regular blocks of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight by eight by four, and then there's two of them together. Yeah, so they're the output drivers. Um, so it's for a large current output drive. Yeah, theoretically, it can get a zero dBm um, differential our signal off chip that probably okay. won't happen, but theoretically. Yeah. So, um, part of the PLL is it is off chip? Did you say, or part of the transceiver? Part of the PLL is off chip. Yeah. So basically the, okay. um, you need to have a, a compensation filter to close the loop. Okay. And, and you can't do that inside the chip or it's too dangerous. You want to be able to adjust it. Um, you can do it inside the chip, but you need to be able to do know quite a lot about the stability characteristics of the system. I thought it'd be safer just to do it off chip, and then I can basically okay. change capacitors and resistors as I need. Okay. And by doing that, do you also lose a bit of performance because you're having to go back out of the chip and then through a filter and then back into the chip, or does it not really make much of a difference? Um, well, I think the biggest performance hit will be power because you have to drive more current off chip and area. But... For a design like this, that doesn't really matter. Um, it's just for, for research, I guess you can say. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the performance of this. I guess you're quite excited about knowing that. Yeah, definitely. In fact, that's, um, that's a question that um, I didn't come up with, but is interesting to ask is, um, how are you going to um, characterize the design when you get it back? Do you have like access to all these kinds of expensive tools in your day job? So in my day job, I have access to um, a thermal chamber, which will be useful for the band gap um, reference because I can measure that its behavior across temperature. And also I've um, allowed the ability to measure the individual components of so the bipolars and the resistors um, separately. So we can actually characterize that and compare it against the models. So hopefully the community can use that for the designs. Um, and in the PLL, I don't have a lot of that equipment myself, but I have um, access to amateur radio um, project spaces that have remote labs that I can send the chip to and then they'll hook it up to the equipment to measure it and I can access that over the internet. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, so it'll be quite useful. Okay. Um, so then if we take a look at the right-hand side, we've got kind of three blocks that look pretty similar to each other, except the top block's got an extra an extra section. Yeah, so those are basically the, the band gap reference. So the, there's the same core is replicated, I think, Mm -hmm. three or four times um 
and then there's a trimming circuit which is on some of them and then i think there's another one where i can access the the voltages rather than the currents it's basically the same design but permeated in the different ways to, to be able to measure it differently okay so that's part of the um what you were just talking about with being able to char characterize it afterwards yeah exactly to get access to the different measurements you need yeah okay yeah i love the um the incredible um uh spacing in the routing so like one of the um I'm trying to do I'm trying to put together lots of different people's projects onto one chip to maximize space usage. Mm -hmm. And I've got kind of uh, 16 different designs in there. And for my tests, I'm just using the same design 16 times. So really what I want the tools to do is kind of make a nice even bus that snakes through everything and just connects the pins and they're all in the same order and it looks perfectly laid out. Mm -hmm. I want it to look like this, but it looks like a complete mess instead with still short circuits and things like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, layout is where you get to practice your, your OCD to send tendencies and make everything perfectly Absolutely arranged. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so did you draw this by hand or did, was this scripted? I'm drawing by hand, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I've, I've looked a little bit at the scripting in K-Layout and that seems like it's quite a powerful thing because you've got a Ruby and a Python kind of interface to it. Yeah. You, is that something you've looked into at all? Yeah, so originally I replicated um, the the um, component generation in Python in K-Layout, but in the end I dropped that because things were getting updated and I wasn't maintaining it um, fast enough. And then I also made a, a VA generator in there. Um, so I have used that, but it's quite powerful. I'm definitely interested to see what can be used for in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I know that um, the eFabulous team are working to kind of integrate K-Layout a bit more tightly into the open lane tools. For example, uh, in the first shuttle, if you had um, problems, you would often get just like lists of locations and that file was essentially useless. I mean, you could type those numbers in or you could pre-process it with Python, spit it out into something else that you could then import into either Magic or K-Layout. Mm -hmm. But now they're actually uh, generating XML files that you can open directly with K layout and it will highlight all the t all the types of errors and you can just click around and see where they all are, which is much, much better. Yeah, definitely. So during the first admission, I had some some minor issues with DRC when checked by Caliber. So I actually worked quite closely with the team um, and they shared some very useful K layout um, tools there to do DRC checking in K layout, which was very useful in the end. Okay, um, so uh, now might be a good time to um, do the little um, break that I've started to do in the middle of these videos where I ask my uh, lovely guests to pick something from the terminology page of the website. And you chose um, something that I didn't have, which is called corner. Yeah, so corner is basically the, the way that you describe different um, manufacturing offsets or variability is the best way of saying it. Um, so I think originally it comes from the fact that you can have uh, you have your PMOS and your NMOS and they can be fast or slow, which basically is um, how much gain or how you know, how fast the device is. So if you imagine a quadrant where you have a fast, fast, slow, slow, fast, slow, and slow, fast. And these basically are, are um, simulation models provided by the foundry with the same devices, but at different, um, yeah, different performance levels. So you get spread across, um, it's meant to be realistic to what you get across many different wafers. Um, 
So yeah, that's very important for analog design that you need to make sure that design works across all corners. Um, and then you can include temperature and uh, voltage in that, in that as well. And sometimes that can be challenging to, to get the thing working across all corners. So just getting it working in the first place in a typical, typical is the, really just the start of the, the, the work. Ah, TT. Now it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. TT. So, um, so I've done a little bit of um, work with simulation and loading the uh, spice libraries. And one thing that I do is delete all the corners and just use TT because it's much faster to, for NG spice to load up. Yeah, definitely. So, but when you're doing a design like this, you need to make sure that the simulation that you're getting out from NG spice matches your specifications across all those combinations of. Um, slow and fast MOSFETs. Yeah. So, I mean, for a Skywater project, you maybe don't have to do that because you don't care so much about the yield of the, the, the chip across many thousands or hundreds of thousands of units. But it's still useful to, to get an idea of um, how sensitive your design is to, to small variations. So if you run it through different corners and see it still works, you know it's quite a high likelihood it's going to work in real life. Great. That's a, a good one to a spot that I'm missing. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I'll no get that page added. Okay. Um, so back to the, um, the transceiver. Um, another question I've got for you is, um, how are you going to get the, um, the RF signals in and out? Yeah. Can you use the pad ring or do you have to somehow jump over those IO blocks? Yeah. So, don't really have a good answer for that one. My answer really is to, I tried to, I made the buffer to try and get as much power into the device or into the, the IO cell as possible. Um, and it's basically, it's a signal integrity nightmare going through there. So I'm just going to try and get a sensitive receiver um, and hopefully pick up. So I should get, still get some signal. It's not going to be power, but it's going to be enough signal to do some measurements. Um, so there was option to, to expose um, pads for external wafer probe, but I don't have access to one. And on the balance of trying to track that down, I felt my time would be better just moving forward. Um, so yeah. It will be interesting to find out anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. didn't really have any other option, so we'll see. I should be able to get enough, enough signal off to get a measurement, but it's not going to be perfect. That's for sure. Yeah. Maybe, um, because it's because of the, um, the type of package, I'm definitely get, I'm going to get this wrong. It's, um, uh, wafer level chip scale package. Yeah, that's right. WLCSP. Yeah. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, I always get like those five in some different order. Um, so, um, like, would there be a possibility to um, kind of put, because you kind of, you're very close to the silicon on these packages. So, like, would it be possible to kind of make a, a new bond pad that you somehow get access to? Yeah, I mean, I think some people are planning to, to get the, the bare dies and probe it externally. Um, but I think it's not so much the package is the problem. The package is actually potentially very good for signal integrity. Mm -hmm. It's just that the I.O. cells are, are digital GPIO I.O. cells. Mm -hmm. So hopefully in the future we have the opportunity to, to go straight to the pad without I.O. cells in the way. And then, then more things are possible. So fingers crossed there. The first eight pins on the Emperor Gio of the of the Car the Caravel, aren't they analog switchable pins? Yeah, they are. But they're, I mean, for low low frequency signals, that's not a problem, um, or low power, because 
yeah, it doesn't matter. Anything high power or high frequency, um, the routing is, is far from ideal, essentially. Okay. Um, so potentially um, a, a silly question here is, with is it kind of with a transceiver so for the for the receiver that's going to be low power but for the transmitter do you sometimes have like the amplifiers on the chip on the die as well and so you don't need an external amplifier yeah i mean you, it depends how much power you want to get out um so you're probably not going to get a 10 or you're definitely not going to get a 10 watt um rf power amplifier on there but um maybe half but 10 watt. watts goes along <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean if you think about how much power wi-fi um device puts out and they do those on on die at the moment so okay yeah. they're kind of milliwatts aren't they yeah yeah so i think maybe even 100 milliwatts um but okay rf power amplifier design is is definitely a, an interesting spot it's a challenging place mm -hmm. to be working so hopefully have a look at that later on in the project but leave that the stretch goal I like it. The stretch goal. So that kind of takes us on to the next topic, which is um, what, so what's the next steps then? Yes. Yeah, so the next step is basically to try and um, complete the transmit chain. So I've got the, the band gap reference now to the bind set everything. I have the A uh, phase lock loop. Um, so in the first shuttle, I didn't do anything with inductors um, because yeah, to basically close that door and decide to progress without inductors. I've done a lot of work recently um, trying to design on-chip inductors, which should make the performance in the next chips much better. So a higher frequency oscillator using an LC um, oscillator topology, the 8 gigahertz is the first thing that's going to go on there, and then a DAC, um, yeah, and hopefully get the full transmitter chain in the next next submission as a plan. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool to see this kind of stuff being done. Yeah, I think it will be... An amazing feeling to actually talk to satellite with an IC you designed yourself all open source. So yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> and could you put another one on the satellite so you have um, a, a matched pair? Yeah, yeah. If anyone's got a satellite, I'll put it on there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, something to look forward to. Yep. Okay, so um, maybe uh, this can be our last question. Um, we like my experience and most people's experience of the um, open source ASIC tools and the uh, shuttle opportunity has been kind of firmly in the digital domain. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but there's quite a lot of interest to kind of have a play with the analog stuff, but it seems like uh, another world. Um, so could you um, tell us like, I mean, it seems from listening to you that the tools in a completely usable state in the PDK is like completely usable for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Is there something that is um, missing that is would make it a lot easier? Or how does it compare to kind of the PDKs that you're used to? I mean, at the core of the PDK, there's not actually that much difference. Um, so the model, it's a BSIM model for the for the MOSFETs and that's what you're using commercial PDKs. Um, yeah, I mean, the core of it, everything that you need is there. It's just the, uh, yeah, you just have to put the pieces together. So maybe the, the harder thing is setting up simulations is more reading through NG Spice manuals and, and getting the, um, the syntax rather than using the GUI. So maybe there's, there's hurdles there, but certainly in my opinion- Yeah, the NG Spice syntax has tripped me up so many times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not lovely. Um, and that's also where I've been trying to use Python. Not lovely. That's a very, <laughs> very kind way to put it. I like it. Yeah. 
that's why I was trying to be using Python to maybe abstract away some of the the oddness of the the spice tool, um, make it a bit more idiomatic. I think is the phrase. But yeah. So. Have you seen um, Python binding for um, spice? So you kind of describe your circuit with Python. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think spice spice. Um, is that the one you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So. I use that, but not not the circuit description. I just use the interface. Um, personally, I like to see schematics, so I always build the schematics first. And then once I've got the, the netlist from the schematic, then I'll use Python to, to crunch the numbers. Okay, so instead, so you uh, draw the schematic, like extract it into a file that is in Spice. So that's something that XSchem can do. Yep. But then to run the simulations and to plot stuff, you use Python. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And um, we can see examples of that in your repository, I think, because I saw some Python files in there that imported matplotlib. Yeah, so I'm slowly building up a little Python library with different convenience functions. Um, so over time, hopefully it will become quite useful. Okay. And for people that are interested in kind of getting started on the analog side, do you, could you recommend like simple projects or a tutorial or like what should interested people do to get started? Um, so I think the, the Holy Bible when it comes to starting analog design is the, the Zabi books. So he's a professor at UCLA and he's written. So could you say the name again? Uh, Rizavi. So R-A-V-I. Okay, I'll put a link to that in the description. Yeah. And he has widely regarded the best instruction textbook, textbooks to, to analog design. Um, so probably looking at that, um, they can be found on the internet and then, um, start designing circuits for the best way I'd say. Okay. Great. Anything else you want to let us know about or projects that you're working on that you want to share? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Thomas. It's been really cool talking to you. Thanks for sharing all the great work you've been doing. Yeah. And um, we'll stay tuned to see how it works out and hopefully get you back on to tell us um, tell us that you've got some successful communications with a satellite. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you. Wicked. Okay. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.